So I know uh, Jesse jumped right up here, but uh, I do want to take a second and just introduce to those folks who don't know who that guy was that was up here uh, <laughs> teaching us about spiritual warfare. But anyway, come on up, Jesse. So Jesse Arsenault, he's uh, no stranger to this house. Uh, he's come down from the North Country, and uh, he's been uh, laboring up there with with his wife and, and uh, some good friends, and, and they've been sowing uh, sowing seed in the North Country. Uh, we were just up there recently for a conference, and uh, we were able to witness firsthand what's happening in that region, and so we're, we're thrilled to have him down here. So we thank you, Jesse, and uh, that's all you, Jesse. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. So I got the third thing. <laughs> worship. Worship, worship. John the Baptist lived on locust and honey. According to Proverbs, honey is the symbolic um, thing for the word of God. And then what do you have to do to get to honey? You've got to work past a lot of bees. So when the bees of the mind start swarming, worships like smoke of incense unto the Lord, paralyzes those things. Notice when you worship here, your thoughts get slower and clearer, more peaceful. Some of you less voices. No, but uh, amen. Come on. Come on. <sighs> Resting in the midst of adversity, quoting the scripture, praising God. Overcome spiritual warfare. Amen. So, Holy Spirit, there is so much in my heart, Lord. I just pray you communicate this in the amount, in the style, and the impartation you desire. I pray for ears to ear, eyes to see, in Jesus' name, amen. And this, my wife Jacqueline, and my little redhead ginger one-year-old's in the back, and uh, it's so good to be here. What a wonderful night in Manchester at the Merge last night, um, just a bunch of ministries getting together to just worship God, and I, don't, I, I always love when I come down here telling the story of the beginnings of Kingdom Awakening Ministries because I was kind of just part of it um, on a small way at the beginning stages, but uh, I don't want to spend too much time with all that stuff. I want to get right into teaching. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Um, I actually felt to touch on tithing, but I waited for after the tithe buckets because I didn't want to uh, manipulate you, <laughs> right? And all the, t all the tithes are going to KA, not Jesse. So I just want to be clear. Um, there are so many uh, impure motives, known or un unknown, in, in ministry. A lot of you who've been, you know, doing your best to follow Jesus have probably noticed that, seen some stuff behind the scenes. Uh, it's very easy to get a critical or judgmental heart, maybe, towards the church. But honestly, like, you got to stand before him one-on-one. -on -one. What did you do? How much were you burning? How pure were your motives? What did you do with my son? Amen. So that, that will keep you walking straight and not getting critical or bitter or unforgiving. And um, I, I notice how many wonderful um, followers of Jesus have, have honestly just fallen away from God and walked the, the other way. And uh, it, it puts uh, a fear of the Lord in me. I want to stay close. Fear of the Lord makes you stay close, not make, not, not make you scared of God. And uh, I'm like, Lord, how do I stay pure? And he said, everything you do, do it for the sake of the people you're talking to. Amen. So whether I, I preach on a kingdom principle, I want to 
the Lord says, preach for their sake, not just to show that you know stuff. Amen. And so, like, if I'm going to preach on tithe, I'm going to preach for your sake. Amen. And I, honest, I honestly mean that. And um, I, am, I am in one of the lowest tax brackets, okay? <laughs> so I'm preaching this stuff before God prospers me, if he even does. Either way, I'm going to follow him with all my heart. And I do believe he's going to prosper me. Amen. And, uh, but I want to talk about the heart condition, like George was saying, with tithing. First of all, one of the biggest uh, lies... Um, with tithing is that it was part of the Mosaic law, Moses' law, which is not true. Tithing actually came from the seed of our father Abraham. The, the first man, which was part of the redemptive process of humanity, and the message is the kingdom. So Abraham was the first man to receive the seed of the kingdom. And he tithed to a man named Melchizedek. And the Bible in Hebrews 7 says Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. And he said, how great is this man? He had no blood lineage. Is, is that interesting? So I don't know if it was, honestly, the Old Testament's wild. I don't know if it was an angel who was showing a form of the Christ to come, or if it was just simply a man that, where there was no recordings of his family. I don't know. Focus on Jesus, you'll be okay. Everything you read about in the Old Testament is a shadow of a symbol to the things to come which are attainable in the spirit in Christ. So Melchizedek is a shadow of the Christ man. The name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And Jesus himself is our righteousness. He is our right standing. So tithing doesn't make you more or less righteous, you know. So when I preach tithing, it's a kingdom principle to get you to walk in the ways of God. And he tithed to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek was the king of a town called Salem, which means peace in Hebrew. So the king of righteousness who rules over peace, the prince of peace. Come on, what a shadow and symbol of the Christ man who is the king of the kingdom of light in the spirit realm, this kingdom which we're called to walk in. Jesus Christ actually preached two different gospels that were one, just like Godhead is three in one, the gospels are two in one. There's the gospel unto salvation and the gospel of the kingdom, and he preached the gospel of the kingdom seven times more than the gospel of salvation. The gospel unto salvation is the humbling yourself receiving a righteousness that you can never obtain. And Jesus, in Ephesians 1, says he seals you with the Holy Spirit. Sealed and set apart, it's like getting engaged to God. And he will never break up with you, no matter how much you play the harlot. So that's the gospel on the salvation. But the gospel of the kingdom, the, just for a general understanding of the kingdom, is righteousness, Jesus is our righteousness, peace. As soon as you get a revelation of the righteousness inside of you, the natural fruit of that is peace and joy. Oh my goodness, this is actually real. <laughs> all these Bible stories I heard when I was a kid, it's all real. Joy is a natural expression as you get a deeper revelation of righteousness and peace and the whole time's inside of you. The truth sets you free. My good friend Sean says, truth, so as you get revelation, it just further lifts the veil of what's already inside of you and the more you see the more you're free. Amen. And that's why the greatest mystery of all the mysteries of the kingdom is this, a mystery hidden way before the foundation of the world was ever created, Christ in you. Because everyone believes of the Christ and the right hand of the Father, but the hardest thing for humanity to believe is Christ in you. 
I was crying all worship because I still I don't understand the love of God. I'm, I'm I don't understand it. That's why I just weep when I just feel it, and I I it might look like I'm in abandonment, but honestly. I've become so aware of my heart because the best thing you can do to follow Jesus is become a master at stewarding your heart is I become extremely aware every time I put up a wall. And most of the time, as I begin to encounter God, I just am like, that's enough for now. I'm going to be totally transparent with you. His love makes absolutely zero sense. As soon as I begin to start to drink it in, all I can do is hyperventilate and cry. Honestly, it doesn't make any sense. That's why I was crying and shaking my head. It doesn't make any sense. All those tissues on the floor are mine. doesn't make any sense. So, tithing. <laughs> um, Jesus says this, right? He says, you can't serve two masters. You'll end up hating one, loving the other. You can't serve God and mammon. Mammon's the demon principality behind money. It's not evil to have money. It's, e- it's evil for money to have you. Right? It's not evil to have emotions. It's evil for emotions to have you. You're not your feelings. Amen? So money, we're called to rule over money and not money rule over us. And maybe when we came to Jesus and we got a brand new conscience, we stopped chasing selfish ambition and trying to get quick wealth dishonestly. But now, out of fear... We haven't actually handed over that realm of our heart, resource finance, unto the Lord. So therefore, our heart's hoarding. And even though you're not chasing wealth and ambition in a perverse way anymore, mammon's still ruling over you because all your decision-making is because of money. So he has you frozen in fear, and he has you clutching your resource because... and. In reality, you actually haven't given him that part of your heart that's called the steward money. So, 10% is a great start. <laughs> in, in Proverbs, it says, which is, wasn't part of the law either, Proverbs, it's the spirit of wisdom talking through Solomon, it says, give the Lord the first fruits of your labor. Back then, cattle, <coughs> fields, flocks, that was resource. That was money. So give the Lord your first 10%, not your last 10%. Amen. Amen. First thing. When your paycheck comes in, it's like, I don't even look at the bills. It's like, this doesn't belong to me. First fruits are yours. Because for me to stand up here and preach the kingdom when I'm actually not following Jesus in the realm of money, that would be a... a a portion of hypocrisy, right? So if I'm going to preach on resource, if I'm going to preach on faith, I have to walk in kingdom principle. And kingdom principle, according to Proverbs and Abraham, not Moses' law, is give the first fruits of your resource. Amen. And I guarantee when you let the finger of God touch something in your heart, right? What's young men and women's hardest thing to do? Let go of their uh, significant other. A lot of people have, uh, won't lay down their boyfriend or girlfriend for Jesus. You know, even though all their loved ones and family say it's wrong, it's, it's just not the right one, I promise you. <laughs> and they won't let it go. And then the ones that say, okay, Jesus, I want you to pick my partner, become radically more blessed than the ones who re- just refuse 
to give God control of that area of their heart called romantic relationship. Amen. So this is what I'm talking about with money. So I just want to invite you right now, because we're not tithing again. You can go home, pray, decide what you're going to choose. If you're going to choose to say yes to that or not. And you don't even have to tithe here. Tithe somewhere where it preaches Jesus as the center. Okay? Whatever that looks like to you. Your first fruits. And I promise you, you'll have a joy and a freedom. And you won't get all tense and weird about money anymore. I want you free. That's why I'm preaching this to you. I want you free. So I'm going to, we'll pray. And if you're ready right now, maybe you're wrestling with it and got to go home. But right now I want to give you an opportunity to hand Jesus the keys to your bank account, okay? To let him be the leader of your household in regards to the realm of finances. Remember, I was a college kid. I was living off $800 a month. So literally that $20 a week was extremely hard. One time I had $60 left, and it was either groceries or tithe, and I already had my mind made up, so it wasn't even a question. Right? Honestly, what's the worst-case scenario? I go to the local food pantry, an angel shows up at my door. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wish I had that much faith. I'm getting there. But um, I can handle not eat for a few days. Come on. So I put the 60 bucks in. I get a call from two saints the next day. Hey, God told me to give you 60 bucks. So I gave 60, got 120. Right? So it's, uh, even if it didn't happen, it's still my conviction. Amen? So start small, and, and that's it, man. Just give God your money. Don't get weird about it. Don't explain it away. Don't justify your unbelief. Just give God your money. <laughs> Don't blame the uh, selfish television preacher for you hoarding your money. You not surrendering. Don't blame anybody else. <laughs> so let's pray. And, you know, if you're ready to do this, just uh, repeat after me. Lord God, I surrender to you my resource. Be the leader of my household. In regards to money. Amen. Praise God. And if you're not ready, it's okay. Stay in your journey. Stay in your journey. Keep following Jesus. Amen. I'm amazed at Jesus because um, most of the leaders uh, in any realm, you know, coaching, teaching, um, anything, they've all been very... Um, if you don't do this now, you have no part with me. Amen? And I'm amazing the gentleness of Jesus where he'll converse with you and speak to you in the same tone of voice no matter where you're at in your journey. There's been a place in my journey where I was totally chasing the things of the world, and there was times where I actually talked to God, and he spoke to me in the same tone of voice. He speaks to me now, totally consecrated to the Lord. I can say with a clean conscience, I'm totally consecrated unto the Lord. And um, there was a time in between where I was playing the harlot, and I'm living half for the world and half for Jesus, and he spoke to me in the same tone of voice. And he spoke to me in the same dialogue. He never budges on his, on his convictions, on his kingdom principles. They're beautiful things. The more you obey God, you realize, wow, I understand why that's put in place. So the more I obeyed, the more I understood but he's willing to talk about all these things in gentleness without budging. And he's willing to ask all the hard questions. So don't feel like he's offended when you ask him a question. 
I'm going to talk a little bit of testimony. Um, most of us know Ryan Hogan. I know we all went to war to see a resurrection for his 15-year-old son. And um, first, I want to make a statement that I, I did go down. I did try to raise him from the dead. A few of you did, too. That's what Jesus told his followers to do. And uh, I know if Jesus was standing in my shoes, he would have done it, right? So whenever you ask yourself that, what would Jesus do if he was in the room? That's how you discern the will of God. So that's why I can pray with confidence his will to raise him up. And then when I don't see it, I know that I'm growing in faith. I'm growing into him. So I know if Christ was here, he would do it, and my goal and standard is Christ. So I'm going to pray my best prayer and be very transparent with where my faith level's at. I threw my mustard seed at the mountain. It didn't move. But I'm going to keep watering that seed and go get my next opportunity. There was a man uh, who, was, who was, uh, was living in Dover, Summersworth, good friend of mine, Derek Lord, you probably know him. And I was acquainted with his uh, brother, Dylan, who was in and out of drug addiction. And uh, I still remember the day I got the call from Berlin that Dylan uh, overdosed. And I drove down from Berlin to the morgue. We had to pay $500 to get in there. And, and it was policy. You have to pay $500 to see the body and uh, try to raise him up from the dead. And four of us, you know, looked really foolish trying to raise this dead, this dead body. But it was the will of God, and if I didn't pray, it was very clear that it was fear of what people thought. And if you live by fear of what people thought, it will make totally make you ineffective from walking in the power of God. And then I prayed for folks with cancer, and they've gotten healed. I've... Uh, seen things I never thought I'd see in my life, but I've also prayed for a mom in the hospital with her three little kids there and have her die, right? It's, um, it's a call that you can't ignore when you follow Jesus. And there's, it's amazing that when you do his will, even if you don't successfully slay the giant, there's peace that surpasses understanding. And something inside of you, it becomes very clear that what you did was not in vain. What you, every try you've ever done is not in vain. Okay, so I just want to give that context before I tell the story. Um, so, Ryan, I lived with him in Dover when I was in my grad school year, and I was attending here at the church. October of that year was when this start this place started in this building, and um, and uh, moved up to Berlin with uh, my wife, and I followed Kate and John Patrick at the time. She was still Patrick, and married Bruce Cooper, and uh, Jessica came up, married John, and um, then it, Ryan, uh, he was doing really really well. You know, the year he was here, just walking with Jesus, amazing guy, great prophetic gift, great faith for healing. And uh, then I went up to there. He started uh, stumbling again to some old stuff. He's very transparent about that stuff. And um, he ended up moving up to Berlin. 
um, got into some more stuff, and then uh, got free again and appeared, and we started a business uh, together to try to touch the addiction community, construction business, uh, John and I. And business, and when things aren't, uh, when things aren't good, when trials hit, um, devil can get in there and cause all kinds of division. So there was lots of tension between um, John, myself, Ryan, and his mother, who was an investor. And John and I were obviously cool. Um, Ryan and his mother, um, for whatever reason, they're very, very angry with us. And it was one of those things where um, the more you talk, the more you make a mess. So it's like no matter what, it was like past reconciliation. So all we can do is cry and pray and just ask God for a supernatural healing because we really, really valued those relationships. John and I were very, very broken um, with that. We really valued both of those friendships. And uh, also to, to not see our buddy doing the best was tough too. And when we heard Patrick was in the hospital, I was, uh, <laughs> accent's coming out. Patrick was in the hospital. We, uh, I wanted to be respectful. I wasn't sure. Like My heart was like, get down there. But I didn't want to be there if he didn't want me there, especially during these times. And thank goodness for wives. She's like, you need to be down there now. <laughs> I'm like, heck yeah, I'm going down. So I jumped in with John from Berlin to Boston, about three and a half hours. 45 minutes away, and Ryan texts me, and he says, um, hey, can I have John, John Patrick's number? I want him to know I have no hard feelings toward him, and I want him to be part of this process. And he had no idea we were on our way down. So I gave him John's number, and John's sitting in my passenger seat, and ding, ding, his phone goes off. Say, hey, it's Ryan. I just want you to know I have no hard feelings, and I want you to be part of this. And John texts back, we're actually half an hour away. We're on our way to see you. And then Ryan says, wow, dot, 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 you know. So... We go in there, and um, I go up to Ryan's mother, and I say, Cindy, I said, can I hug you? And she, like, lets me hold her, and we just cry it out together. Same thing with Ryan. And the thing Ryan, um, the Lord told me before I went is he very clearly said, bring your guitar with you. I want you to sing over Patrick. And the last thing I want to do is be a center of attention in a place like that, especially with how sensitive the thing is, but I very clearly heard his voice. I even had a vision during worship at our church that morning of it happening as well. So I grabbed the guitar, and while we were about to go in the room to see Patrick um, on life support, um, his mom says, put that thing away. Like, I don't want to see that. Like, it's not, how'd she say it? She's like, that's just too much right now. That's what she said. And um, so I went in there without the guitar, and, you know, I prayed my best prayer, tried to raise him from the dead. And um, then I, I heard the Lord say, I know it's sensitive moments, but are you going to obey me or fear what people think? So here's the Lord saying, like, play, even though I know the grandmother of the boy is saying, don't play. And I'm like, Lord, I want to honor her. Like, this is her territory. You always teach me about honoring the pastor of the house or the owner of the house or whoever is in authority. And he said, just trust me. And then he gave me this idea. Because at this point, 
her grandmother was in the bathroom. So I, I go in the hallway. No, it's not going the way you think, trust me. So I go in the hallway, and I'm purposely taking my time getting the guitar out because I want her to come back out. I don't want her to think I'm disobeying her going behind her back. So I take it out slowly, pretending to tune it. <laughs> and then she comes out of the bathroom finally. I don't know what she was doing in there. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Man, how cool is that thing? But um, she comes out, and I'm like, hey, Cindy, I just want to let you know that um, I asked the nurse and Ryan, and they're, they're okay with the guitar thing. And she goes, oh, great, maybe he'll wake up. <laughs> just like that, like total 180 with her attitude toward the guitar thing. So I'm like, thank you, Lord. But I tell you this because of this. Um, when I'm over a deathbed and two family members, right, and I'm doing my best to follow Jesus, it becomes crystal clear the crossroads of am I going to choose fear or am I going to choose love? Amen. Because God knows my motives and he gave me a word. And it's either I justify why I don't obey or I obey. And so I begin playing over Patrick, and uh, then she gets weird again. She's like, oh, my goodness, we're too loud. We're going to disturb other people. So she runs out of the room, and then as she runs out of the room, all the other parents of the patients say, hey, can he come play over our kid? So she's like, you're not going to believe this, Jesse. They all want me to sing over their kids. And she's not even a follower of Jesus. And she's leading us room to room, being our evangelist, <laughs> hugging and crying with the parents as John and Ryan are praying in tongues and prophesying life over all the kids and while I worship. And moms are taking videos and sending them to their pastors and sending them to the church and sending them out on social media, watching people boldly pray in the name of Jesus, watching people cry and feel God's presence. Amen. So there's something about if you're called to be at war, you just show up. No matter how much faith you feel, no matter how much the, the emotion is strong. Show up with the hope, because if you, if you have real faith, right, we're all grown in faith, you know it will happen. There's certain things I know will happen as I've grown in faith over the years, but then behind the faith is something called hope. So I can't say if I saw many dead raisings, which is happening from some ministries that I know, I'd have a confidence, probably, I'd have faith going in, but I had the hope of glory and a mustard seed of faith. So I go in with hope that something will happen. What is the glory of God? It's, it's his tangible presence in my simplest definition. So there's a hope that a realm of glory will come in. And then there's a teenage girl who's one of the kids in the hospital bed next to Patrick. Turns out she was in there for trying to commit suicide, and John Patrick leads her to Jesus. And I'm like, do you feel that peace? It was a real born-again experience. She's like, yeah. I'm like, hold on to that. That's Jesus inside of you. He'll never let you go. Amen. So a woman got born again. 
I never followed up to see if any healings were taking place. But the amount of reconciliation between the four of us was unbelievable. And it honestly, it wasn't in the hug when we saw them. It was that moment. It's like black and day, things words could have never healed. All of a sudden, they looked at us with the same eyes again they used to look at us. And then we went out for burgers after. And even though we didn't get the breakthrough, this hope was so tangible we're literally like belly laughing, telling stories as we're eating burgers with two people that didn't even, we felt like ever want to see us again. So Evan and Patrick ended up um, giving, you know, his organs too. So a couple others were saved. And then the, our reconciliation story is just one of many. There's been a lot over the years, you know, um, with different ministries and friends and so massive reconciliation, massive forgiveness, massive unity, a salvation, probably at least a couple healings, okay? And at the end of the day, we can lay our head in our pillow with a clean conscience knowing I obeyed. And at the end of the book of Proverbs, the book that this spirit, one of the seven spirits of God is wisdom, Isaiah 11, the book that wisdom wrote, excuse me, at the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, this is, this is reality. He said, it all culminates in this. Fear God, obey his commands. You, are, you go to someone, look him in the eye. Do you have peace? And most of the time, it's like, talk, talk. It's like, that's not what I asked. Do you have peace? And peace comes to a man when you've made that decision in your heart where you're done lying to yourself, <laughs> you're done lying to others, and you look God in, in the face and say, I will obey no matter what the cost. Jesus understood it was extremely high cost to follow him, and that's why he said, count the cost because you look really dumb. If you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, then halfway through you say, I'm out. So there's a counting of the costs. The, the hardest thing for me to let go of, it's, a, it's always been easy for me to, to hold resource lightly or circumstance and stuff like that. But it's been letting go of, honestly, certain friendships. As you follow Jesus, your, your inner circle will change. It will. Because even though your love for your friends, unbelievers, people who hate you will increase, because of something that I call soul ties, sometimes we won't let go of the old because we're really just emotionally addicted to that relationship. And the Lord's trying to change your inner circle. And no matter what your gauge of morality is, so let's get, say you get filled with the Holy Spirit and get a brand new conscience and get a strong relationship with God, but you refuse to put on the altar the friend group you grew up with. You'll become ineffective because I notice even though my moral compass was much higher, I'm still walking the same general direction as them. And if you want to walk in the direction of the Christ, your inner circles will indeed change. 
it's very important to discern who you're called to walk with in certain seasons. And sometimes it's not because anything's wrong with them or wrong with you. Sometimes it's simply like, this guy I walk with is so powerful, I've actually leaned on his anointing for so long, and God wants to pull it out from under you. Because you need to become who you're specifically called to be. Amen. And that doesn't take away from like lifelong covenant relationships, because there are certain folks, God will say, you're called to walk with that man the rest of your life. Amen. Or you're called to keep that connection the rest of your life. Amen. So, got to obey, no matter the cost. And we had that, uh, I want to tell another quick testimony. There, we had another, we had a conference up in Berlin, and I just want to talk about the fruit of that conference in a small way. Um, in, in the group of people who, uh, you know, Jack and I are just really investing in right now, sort of like discipling and mentoring, there's uh, a couple um, young men who... Um, they're not intellectually or socially very um, with it. You hear what I'm saying? They're, um, they're simple folks. Got the same Christ in me, the same amount of anointing. Do you hear what I'm saying? God chooses to use these people to make people who think they're wise look really silly. If not now, at the end. But I just want to say this, right? Um, one of these men of mine got so rocked at the conference, man, like blasted, praise God, by the Holy Ghost. And um, the next night, there's unity service where in Berlin, um, seven different congregations, you're talking Methodist, Lutheran, Baptist, um, Charismatic, non-denominational, Pentecostal, Foursquare, um, get together, and they change the location of the church. And so that they don't get into doctrine, it's just like two hours of worship, okay, which is beautiful. Like we're, coming, we're agreeing to disagree, we're coming in the name of the one true God, the Christ himself, the word of God made flesh, he's one with the Father and the Spirit, Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, and we just worship God, and it's been really wonderful, the healing. And it's funny how those of different tribes who really do want God, eventually they see what the other tribe has is real, and they'll either come join or they'll walk in it in shrewdness in the tribe they're called to. Man, there's only two kingdoms in the spirit realm. So you're either in one or the other. And there's covert missions where you're like secretly called to be like Holy Ghost yeast in a Pharisee batch of bread. Or the other way where you're called into the world. <laughs> where you're called into the world like Daniel was, and you're called to bring the yeast of the kingdom into the world, or you're simply called to be just a leader in the faith, like a Peter, just speaking of thousands in the name of the gospel. Amen. So anyway, what man's called to do, don't try to judge people or figure out who they are. Just love and honor them. Continue to call forth the Christ inside of them. So anyway, this guy gets so rocked at the conference, and he goes to this unity worship service, and the Holy Spirit falls on him, and they're in a cessationist church. Cessationism means you don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. <laughs> and the Holy Ghost falls on him in the middle of this thing, and he starts praying and yelling in tongues, and they think tongues are of the devil. <laughs> 
And he's, he's like, we need to pray for healing now. And the leadership of the cessationist church handed over to a guy who doesn't know one way or the other. He's just like, I just love Jesus. I got saved a couple years ago. So he's like, oh, yeah, go for it. Pray for my daughter. <laughs> so he's praying over everyone. People are getting touched by the Holy Spirit. But everyone, including the leadership of the cessationist church, gnashes their teeth and walks out of their own building. And um, I hear this. And honestly, my first instinct was this, because there are times where people just uh, just shout in tongues, and it's out of order, and it's like, listen, like, I'm leading this meeting, I'm doing my best to follow the Holy Spirit, I don't think we're doing that right now, <laughs> hold on a second, you know, there's times where the Spirit just falls, like I explained, and it's like, the person loses control, literally, he just falls on you, and there's times where people just like, I feel like yelling in tongues right now. And there's contexts where there's a freedom to that, especially during worship in a wonderful ministry like this. So I originally thought, I think he's just yelling. But then my pastor um, says, no, just like it fell on him. It's the real deal, man. And he's the one who's been taking 15 years to try to bring unity to all these congregations. So he's very neutral. He's not picking one side or the other. He's like, no, this was the real deal, Jess. It's made a mess, and it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, Oh, boy. And I go into a dream. I kind of, you know, like, that's cool. Shrugged it off. I go into a dream. I believe it was that night or the night after. And I go into a dream, and I see Bill Johnson, his wife, Benny Johnson, and his son, Eric Johnson. And just by revelation, God speaks in night metaphors. Most dreams are metaphoric. I knew it just represented the Trinity, Father, Spirit, Son. I knew it just represented the Godhead. And in the dream, I was looking at their eyes, and I was, the love. I can't even, my, the first week I talked about it, I'd cry when I thought about it, talked about it, but the love and the goodness, and this was the main attribute of the love and the goodness, it was acceptance. And I was with the guy who did this at the, you hear what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah, and it was before? Okay, thank you. And so I'm with just a bunch of, there was a couple actually, who were just really, you know, simple, naive, brand new Christians. Um, and we're with Benny and Bill, and the acceptance was like, it was mind-blowing. Like I realized I don't actually know the goodness of God after I had this dream, and I saw their eyes. It was like seeing the eyes of the Father, the Spirit, and the Son all at once. And we're in the neighborhood of Benny and Bill and, and Eric's house, which represents the Trinity. And all of a sudden, one of the guys runs into a neighbor's pool and does a cannonball. And I'm like thinking, oh my goodness, boundaries, that's rude. What are you doing? Oh, goodness. And... Uh, I'm like, you know, gently like, hey, come out of the pool. Now let's go back where to our guest house. And then another man in the dream, um, another, you know, simple folk, comes to me. He's like, I, I can beat you at a race, Jesse. And this guy's extremely um, overweight. I'm not talking about the guy who 
praying, talking, talking about a different guy in the dream. This guy's extremely overweight in the dream. And he's saying, I can beat you at a race, Jesse. And I'm looking at him like, I was thinking immediately of my, like, my college football experience, and I've been an athlete all my life. I'm like, all right, buddy. <laughs> so I'm like, bring it on, you know. And we start racing in the dream. And my legs turn to stone. And he's like, whoosh. And I woke up. And guess what the direction we were running in toward the Trinity. And I woke up. It's like, Lord, what in the world does that mean? And then I heard about what happened. And I was perplexed, and I was like, I'm a teacher at the private school, which is in that building. People somehow always blame me because I'm like the face of this movement up there. <laughs> oh, what am I going to do? And I'm stressing out, trying to like be like, okay, like I don't condone, I condone tongues, but I don't condone dishonor, and I want to honor your house. And but then, blah, 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 and my mind's all twisted up. So I'm talking to God. I'm like, Lord, I need your counsel because what is, I don't want to fear man. I want to fear God, but at the same time, I want to honor. You get where my mind's at. And I'm like, Lord, I need counsel. And uh, he quickens. Actually, he doesn't quicken yet. First thing he did was ask me this. He said, why do you think I chose him at that church to fall on him? Why do you think I chose him to fall on him at that church? And I said, uh, I, uh, I'm scared to answer this. And then it became so clear. It was fuzzy but clear at the same time. And then we're praying. It's like I know the right answer, but I, this is really hard for me to accept. It's like I'm really tempted to lie to myself right now. <laughs> but here's the truth. I wouldn't let you touch me like that. There. I wouldn't let you touch me like that there. I'd let you touch me like that here, but I wouldn't, let you, I wouldn't let you touch me like that there. Do you understand what the dream means now? He went in somebody else's house and did a cannonball in the water, in the spirit. You get it? And here I am thinking I'm mature and experienced that running toward the Trinity. And guess who's blowing me out of water? Men that I think are just naive, brand new Christians. Do you understand where I'm going with this? So I want you to have a clear conscience, first of all, that you can do cannonballs wherever you are. Whatever they do to you, they do to you. Just love them, honor them. But you, you need to put yourself in a place where you really even let go of control of when and how God will touch you and what context and where and who it might offend and who it might inspire. Something about Jesus, he draws a line in the sand because half the people were extremely blessed and life's changed and half the people were gnashing their teeth even though they all came in the name of one man. So tonight, if you want to give God permission, I'm really getting out of comfort zone tonight. I'm touching money. I'm touching cannonballs in other people's pools. Come on. So I want an invitation, and uh, I'm preaching myself just as much. 
And I'm like, Lord, I'm saying yes, but I'm like, I don't know if I have a clear conscience that that's a whole yes yet. Because I'm counting the cost, and it's very large. Rejection is hard enough as it is, but to be rejected by God's people, that's hard. There's a lot of trailblazers in that room, and you know what it's like, don't you? To be a trailblazer in the faith, the amount of persecution and misunderstanding and judgment. It's tough. It's a cost. And I'm not saying that uh, you have to manifest crazy. I'm just saying you need to let your hand off and say, God, you can put me on like a glove. I remember uh, before I was a believer, I'd be dating a girl. She'd treat me really well in certain contexts and other contexts in public. She'd treat me like I didn't exist. I don't want to be that type of lover toward Jesus. So yeah, I'm just going to invite you to say yes again. <laughs> Go ahead and close your eyes and let's take this very seriously because this is very serious. We want to see awakening revival in New England and it's a very high cost. Lord Jesus, give you our best yes ahead of time. That way we don't have to wrestle in the moment. It's already a yes. Jesus, yes. I pray that you release to us that revelation of your acceptance. So when we see your eyes of acceptance, everything else seems to just not matter anymore. But I pray a revelation of the goodness of God that changes the way we think, that makes us first instant cannonballs, cartwheels, and races. Childlikeness, in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. took up a lot of time with those testimonies. Do you want me to teach still or do you want to? What do you want to do? Yes. You want to speak? I think I'll talk about fear of the Lord, and then we'll probably land this plane. A few other directions I wanted to go, but yeah, Lord, I just thank you. Thank you so much for what you're doing. So we're going to talk about the fear of the Lord. And this is all kind of, dots are kind of connecting, because to overcome all this stuff, the fear of the Lord makes it impossible to fear anything else. And the fear of the Lord is not a theology. 
The fear of the Lord is not an idea. It's not a concept. The fear of the Lord is a person, a dimension of a person. Because the Holy Spirit of God is indeed a person. And in Isaiah 11, there's seven spirits of God, seven attributes of his personality. And after Isaiah lists them, and these seven would be on the person of Christ who comes from the root of Jesse. That's why we call him Jesus Christ, Christ, the anointed one. Christos. Because he's the anointed one with all seven dimensions of the Holy Spirit who's one with the incarnate word of God, who's one with Father God. So the fear of the Lord is one of the seven spirits. Therefore, it's an actual, tangible um, realm of the person of, of him, of him, okay? So when you encounter the fear of the Lord, it's having an encounter with the Lord. So it's more than being reverent toward him. It's an actual encounter with him. And when you walk in it, you get the rest of him. Because Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the New Testament says Jesus Christ is your wisdom. And you can't hear your wisdom unless you fear the Lord. You'll, other thoughts will dominate your mind and your heart unless the fear of the Lord overtakes your life. Study every revival, study the book of Acts, study the Old Testament manifestations of his most wonderful glory. They all had one thing in common, a group of people feared the Lord. And when I step off this pulpit and out of the corporate gathering, the fear of the Lord is a constant sensitivity, being very aware of my conscience and where he's leading. But in a corporate setting, the Bible very clearly says, you, the assembly of the saints, you will fear the Lord with great trembling. So the fear of the Lord when people gather. There's certain times where worship crescendos and you feel like something might seriously happen here. And I want to introduce to you that that is just barely the surface level of where he's trying to take us as the body of Christ. I want to begin to invite you and beg you for the sake of the region that we need to begin to hold each other accountable and cultivate an attitude and a mindset of the fear of the Lord so we can encounter it and therefore we can actually experience the manifold presence and fullness of God. The fear of the Lord. I had a dream when I was a senior. I was hitting the streets with Sean Richardson all the time, getting over fear of man by just praying for strangers. He taught me how to pray for the sick, praise God. You just, and it was way simpler than I thought. You literally just put your hand on him and say, sickness leave in Jesus' name. Honestly. Read the book after you at least started. Don't read it before. Start, then read more if you want to. Just do something. Jump in the pool. Put your hand on somebody. Speak to a sickness, tell it to leave. And I was laying on my bed, just saying a few prayers before I was going to go to who knows where that night. All of a sudden, I fall into a trance. 
like Peter did in Acts chapter 10. I didn't even know what a trance was until years down the road when I read it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's what happened to me on my bed in college. I fall into like an open, half awake, half asleep, trance-like state. And I'm walking in New Hampshire next to a woman who's not uh, particularly attractive. And I'm ignoring her. Very strange. Very strange. And... She's trying to talk to me, and then the audible voice of the Holy Spirit says in my heart, listen to her. And I'm talking with her, and as I'm talking, it was literally like, um, you know how Paul said I went to the third heaven? Eight of things aren't even lawful to tell. It was like as she spoke, the, the words became worlds or realms, and they opened up things, revelation in my mind. And there was like streams of purple glory. It was a trip, dude. It was like Holy Ghost trip. Drugs is the counterfeit of the real thing. It was the spirit realm, okay, in Christ. And I'm like, this is amazing. And then all of a sudden I shift to another scene and I'm with some friends and I'm praying and the glory of God rests upon our shoulders. And I'm like, this is beautiful. This is amazing. I love praying in one accord. And then the little bit of glory that was on our shoulders made me ask a question. Father, why don't I hear your audible voice more? It just made me hungry. That little bit of goodness made me hungry. And then I wish I could put adjectives on this. But I literally heard the audible voice of God. And when he, he, all he said was this, why not? And when he said it, it was like, it was not like that. It was like 20,000 volts of lightning, electricity, many waters, like Book of Revelation and Ezekiel. It felt like his, those two words, and they weren't even commands, they're just two words, like why not? And it felt like all my molecules, I pray you have this encounter, Dan. All my molecules were literally melting. And my body was dying. And everything in my inner man wanted to throw myself because his voice was on the left. Where does the father sit? Father, son at the right hand. And where have you been risen up in heavenly places? seated at the right hand of the Father, one with Christ Jesus. He was joined to the Lord as one spirit with him. The Father's voice spoke from my left. And the light was so bright, the light actually was substance because it was his himself's glory. And it pierced through all my molecules, and I was feeling myself melting and dying, and I thought, this is it, but I'm okay with dying. This is amazing. And all I wanted to do was look because I knew I'd see his face, but it was, the light actually had physical weight at the same time, so I couldn't turn. Uh, literally, I can't even describe the weight, the power, and the light all at once. And I couldn't look, look, I just wanted to see him, no matter if it means I lost my life. And then I snapped out of the trance, and I still felt the feelings of terror, like a roller coaster terror, the Father's spirit. And 
I said, Lord, I have, I have to, I have to have more, whatever that was. And I, where, that girl, I want to talk to her again. Who is that? And he says, she's the spirit of wisdom. Fear me, you'll get her. And this is symbolic. Just want to be clear. That was symbolic, that girl, of the person of the Holy Spirit, who's one with the person of the Christ, who's one with the person of the Father. It's not male, female. Come on. And to confirm what I'm telling you, we're going to go to Proverbs 4. A lot of these things I, I haven't told many people because there's something about uh, an encounter with God that's so intimate and it's so, uh, you're like, there's no point of even trying to explain that to anybody. I don't think I even told you, did I? Just no. Yeah. Yeah. I, just like no matter what I say. And that's what happens as you get enveloped in the glory of Christ, you talk less. There's a reason why you become slow to speak because you're like, Jesus that way, figure it out. <laughs> so check this out. Chapter five, keeps connecting. First words, keep my commands and live, get wisdom, get understanding. There's even exclamation points here. Still in verse five, do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Who's her? Wisdom. There's something about that dimension of wisdom that's, um, I hate to say feminine, but it's of the essence similar to the Holy Ghost and of like an actual woman. Right? Adam is one being perfect image likeness of God. He took the woman out of the man. Therefore, God is neither male nor female, if you understand. There's something about wisdom. There's something about a husband who's humble enough to hear from his wife. A wife is incredibly influential, incredibly influential. She has the power in her words to tear him down or build him up. And woman, even if your husband's not loving you like he should, it's your job in the fear of the Lord to honor him as if he's Jesus. And men, even if you're woman is not honoring and respecting you, it is your job to lay your life down. Even if it appears to be in vain, you're laying your life down for her. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom in all you're getting. Get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. Say, I'm done promoting me. God, please promote me. Your will, your timing. Continue in verse 8. She will bring you honor 
when you embrace her. And this is the thing. Remember in the dream? I'm like, nothing about her draws me to her. So humble. No makeup, no dress, no nice hair. I'm like, I'm too, this is, this is my attitude in the dream. I'm too busy. Got, I got stuff. Got responsibilities. And I ignore the very thing. My, my very heavenly understanding was right next to me. My destiny was right next to me. If the Lord didn't wake me up, I would have run my life in a circle on a hamster wheel, not going anywhere but doing a lot of activity like Martha, making sandwiches that Jesus never ordered. I would have been that if God didn't give me that encounter. The very thing I've begged God for in tears on my knees for so many years, to just get it, just understand, what is all this stuff? Spirit realm so complex. So many people with so many different opinions, so much good fruit, bad fruit, so many trees with half and half. I don't know who to listen to. The very thing I always needed. Like John the Baptist said, the kingdom was always at, was always at hand, but my busyness, my hard-heartedness, my pride, my works, my own intellect blocked her with bad attitude. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. She will deliver you. Sometimes you don't need a power minister to lay hands to get free of a demon. You just need the voice of wisdom to tell you, you've been believing this for a long time. Check this out. And the truth sets you free. I want to transition the fear of the Lord into the judgments of God. When I say the word judgment, what comes to your head? Don't have to say it out loud, but I guarantee you when I say the word judgment, first thing you probably think of is judgmental, right? You think of man judging me, me not good enough, God's scary. When I say the word judgment, and I'm not going to teach long on this, I just want to introduce you to a way of thinking so God can lead you into a place of understanding. Because the judgments of God in Psalm says the judgments of God are clean and to be desired by men. The judgments of God. So when mankind judges, what's the fruit of that? I'm better than you. You're not good enough. Figure it, right? It's that. It's perverse judgments. But the judgments of God are clean and to be desired and I'll tell you, the judgments of God are aimed after everything that keeps you from him. And when you're obsessed with things that are temporary, earthly, or idolatrous, or addicting, it'll feel like his judgments are against you. But they're actually aimed at the thing that keeps you from him. And that's why, as you begin to fear the Lord and love wisdom, you begin to cheer when stuff starts getting broken off your life. There was a time I'd do anything to get my next sin in. And then there became a time where no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get free of the sin. 
But then when the righteous judgment of God came, it set me free. So the judgments of God, ooh, wonderful. And there's like seven different ways to what that word even means. There is a righteous judgment. There is judgment in regards to principle. This is actually wholesome. This is actually not. There's a judgment call. Someone hits a baseball. Fair or foul? That's foul. All right. right. So there's many forms of judgment. And then there's actual judgments where it's like exalting judgments. Like I have judged you worthy, right? And what's a father's heart? Always to promote the son in the sons and daughters who are in the son. You see this modeled in Micah, I believe it's chapter 7 or chapter 8, where the prophet is weeping and say, I am in this darkness because of what I've done. So he's like, I am in this darkness because of me. <laughs> I'm in spiritual oppression. And this is a man of God, a prophet. So he's righteous because of faith, not because of his actions. Right? The Bible says the righteous stumble seven times but get back up, so the stumbling doesn't change the righteousness. Come on. So you're righteous. You're righteous. And he says, I'm in this place of darkness, but the Lord will deliver me. He will execute justice, which is, another translation says judgment. That's what judgment is. It's an execution of justice. So I will, he will execute justice, he says, on my behalf. So say this with me. The judgments of God are on my behalf. They're aimed against the things stealing from me. Even when I mess up, he wants my court case to be in my favor. Amen. Is that good? Is that a redemptive teaching on judgment? Come on. So Jack and I, we've been taking communion, and we've been praying for the judgments of God on our household, and it's been so much fun. The first thing that was happened is Jacqueline, all of a sudden, had an encounter with hell. And the reality of the lake of fire became more than a theology. And it put something about seeing, I'll tell you this, having a lens of eternity is the foundation of all logic and reasoning. Because when we finish our life, we'll be like, wow, did I sell myself out to some stupid temporal things. So having a revelation, not just an idea, of the reality of eternity will bring priority to your inner man really quick. Things that are important become very important. Things that are not so important begin very easy to let go. So the fruit of that encounter has been amazing. Amazing. Ask her about it. Tell her, tell your testimony, what it did to her heart. Set her free. Made her love people more. Made her have peace about the future. Amazing stuff. That was the first thing. There's many other things, but I've been praying the judgment of God on my house because I'm a righteous man, therefore I love righteousness, and I want everything smashed out of there that's not righteous. That's why David boldly prayed, everything crooked in me, please straighten out. 
Search me and know me. Get rid of every crooked thing, every iniquity. Iniquity isn't a manifestation of sin. It's something in your heart. It's like I call it an attitude sin. It's a place in your heart where you have purposely hardened, right? He was pierced for your iniquities. And just let it go. Just, just let it go. Even if your dad and your grandpa had it, just let it go. You don't have to. You don't have to. So, yeah, I dare you to pray the judgments of God over your house. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be so wonderful. Amen. I think I'm going to stop there. I really, really would like some impartation, especially uh, fear of the Lord, especially fear of the Lord. So I think what we'll do is, Lord, help me. I'd like everyone to come up unless you really don't want want to. And just line up, okay, and posture yourself for an encounter. I have so much faith right now. I just watched the Jesus Image 2019 when Randy Clark ministered, and he totally renewed my mind on what impartation was. I always thought if I walk in a specific gift, I can pray someone can receive what's in me. But he said, no, there's a greater place. He said, when you stand in front of the corporate body, you're just putting on Jesus, and you're just saying, Holy Spirit, who are you touching, and just coming into agreement, heaven on earth. And he was telling stories how, like, you just say, all right, the Holy Spirit's touching her. God, yeah, touch her in Jesus' name. And get blasted with it like a healing gift. And she saw, like, a hundred deaf ears open, and she came to him like, Randy, I got your anointing. He's like, what are you talking about? She's like, I opened a hundred deaf ears. He's like, you know how many I have in my whole life? Two. You didn't get my anointing. You got Jesus' anointing. So I have, like, all this faith now for impartation, so I want you to Posture yourself in a place to receive a touch from Jesus. Sometimes you won't feel a thing, but the next day you'll wake up crying. Sometimes you'll just wake up and realize, wow, I really see this clearly now. So whatever it looks like, I want you to posture yourself from an impartation, not from Jesse or Miles or from my, my team that came down from the north, but I want you to posture yourself for an encounter, okay? Um, Grace, if you want to come up, just play a little background. And... I believe, I have faith, the fear of the Lord is going to come on you in a fresh way and whatever else he wants to impart, okay, whatever else. Yeah, Holy Spirit, I, I thank you. You're God on earth. And Lord, we're done taking you lightly. your presence. We want your presence in church and out of church. 